It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. We welcome you to our Thursday podcast up and down the West Coast from the Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with the irreverent John <laughs> Riley broadcasting from left field. We welcome you to our Thursday podcast as we kick off a great sports weekend. Our podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Stores. There are nine locations in San Diego to serve you. You can got projects for the fall, for the winter, for the holidays. Think about your best friend to get those projects done. Dixie Line Lumber. John, we got a ton of topics on the table as we kick off this great sports weekend. We're launching some more information as we celebrate our first year doing our podcast together. We're starting other projects that we'll be delivering down road to all of our viewers on live stream, but we want teammates to join us immediately explain what we're doing right at the top right at the top i mean the whole insiders group thing i mean so this is going to be terrific so if you want to like get connected more with hacksaw we're building a membership plan for and it's free you can join just go to hacks leehacksawhamilton.com sign up drop in your email there we'll get you on the list we're gonna have a lot of bonus content that's just for exclusively for people that are in the membership group so go to my website leehacksawhamilton.com right there on the home page in the upper right hand side there will be an orange box register first man in to become part of the insiders group and as we progress through the course of november december into 2024 we'll be adding different things for the people who are part of the insiders group there's nothing in the world that's free except my website (laughs) and joining what we have just started hacksaws insiders group go to my website jan john tell them about what happens at the end of our live stream broadcast circa fans forum fans forum okay this is your chance to get involved you got a hot take question or comment for hacksaw just type it in the live chat on facebook or youtube and we'll get you involved in the fans forum segment and a reminder if you like sports check my website i write a ton of it every day lee hacksawhamilton.com you get the best 15 minutes in sports you get hacksaw's headlines you get one man's opinion column and you get hacksaw's mini polls that's free too. go to the website anytime day or night you will like it john we got a zillion things to talk about we're going to run through an awful lot of things we want the fans to be involved so join us on fans forum at the end let's start with baseball baseball ron washington gets hired in anaheim now this is a crazy story this is quite a unique and very surprising story. I spent part of today trying to dig through my contacts to get a better understanding. That headline might be a bit harsh, but this was a surprise hire. And the word of the day is why. Why Ron Washington rather than somebody else? They bypassed a proven winner to hire who is now the oldest manager in baseball has not managed in a decade since he lost his job in Texas, has interviewed seven times for jobs in the last three years. Nobody hired him, including the general manager of the Padres, A.J. Preller, who's hired virtually everybody he ever crossed the hallways with (laughs) while with the Texas Rangers, did not hire Ron Washington. Yes, he led the Texas Rangers to two World Series appearances, lost both times. His career record in Texas was 664 and 611. He lost his job because of a cocaine problem, lost his job because of an adultery issue in his marriage. The Angels hired a guy that is really well-liked. He's a teacher, a lot of positive vibes as a coach. He was part of the Billy Bean Moneyball Oakland A's, was a trusted advisor, Bounced around, got the Texas job, did well, got bounced out, finally landed on his feet with the Atlanta Braves. The guy is liked by a lot of people, but there's a track record there. And I asked the question, why? Why would you bypass Buck Showalter, who's done some really good things in a lot of different places? A World Series Arizona, a victory, Texas, rebuild Baltimore, New York Mets, where he won almost 100 games one year, then saw his entire team wiped out by injury and got taken out by the new owner. 
why would you bypass Buck? Brian Price, highly revered former manager of Cincinnati, pitching coach a bunch of different places. You bypassed him. Angels have had monster pitching problems for an extended period of time. Did not give a long look-see at Don Mattingly. Pretty respected guy, bunch of different places. Dodger Stadium, Miami, legendary Yankee. Talked to, did not move on Darren Erstad. Revered at Angel Stadium as a player. Went on to become a college baseball coach. Success, University of Nebraska. Did not hire him. Why would you hire Ron Washington on just a two-year deal? That comes a day after Craig Council got the record five-year, $40 million highest-paid manager in the history of baseball. Why would Ron Washington agree to just a two-year deal? Well, the more digging I did, I came up with this one. He's going to stock his coaching staff at Angel Stadium with former major league players, including a couple of ex-Angels. I think they hired him on a two-year deal because he's 71, doesn't want to manage and go through the grind very much longer. They hired him to tutor Tory Hunter, longtime major hmm. leaguer, very respected, regarded guy. By the way, Ron Washington worked with Perry Manasian. They were both in the hallways in Texas, both in the hallways in Atlanta. I don't know if Angel Fan is really happy with this when there are other marquee guys they could have had. Not been to the playoffs since 2014, not won a playoff game since 2009. Nobody seems to like the owner, Artie Moreno. So I don't know if this was Moreno's hire. This is strictly Manasian's hire. Manasian's got less than 12 months to go on his contract. I don't know if they're laying a foundation to go forward and build this thing, or they're just buying time till they decide whether Artie wants to continue to own Angel Baseball. So like at the front of the Sesame Street program, the word of the day is why. And John Riley says, yeah, why? I mean, this Artie Moreno, what are you doing? What are you thinking here? Now, let me just kind of give a little bit of props to Ron Washington. He was the manager when the Rangers went to the World Series. Twice. Twice. So when I mean, the guy's legit, he's got some credentials, but... God, it seems like they bypass so many more attractive candidates here. And Artie Moreno just always making these bonehead decisions. I mean, what's the future of this franchise? It's still a big question mark. I, I concur with you. Last I checked, the guy sitting in his seat co-hosting this podcast about a week ago said, if I were king and I were Artie Moreno, I would call some trusted people in baseball, use them as sounding boards. Yeah. How do you operate a successful franchise? How do you deal with your employees, your players, your management, the stadium situation? Why would you not call Larry Lucchino, hmm. who did it in Baltimore, Pittsburgh, San Diego, and bounce stuff off him and get response? Larry's a good baseball man in semi-retirement. Well, yeah. Why would you not call Theo Epstein? commissioner's office. You got the commissioner's phone number. Call and talk to him about how you run a modern-day baseball organization. Now, Epstein has pushed back on all the people that have tried to hire him. Here's one for you. Rumor mill out there, Epstein is part of a group that wants to buy the Washington Nationals. So that's why Theo, who used to be here in San Diego with the Padres mm -hmm. under Kevin Towers, why Theo has not jumped back into a front office job. That being said, why wouldn't Artie call trusted guys? There's Hall of Fame people who are front office executives. You know, first name that comes to mind is is the Honorable Pat Gillick, who built winners in a bunch of different places. Yeah. There are those type of people retired from baseball that I'm sure could give you insight and philosophies of how to run the team. If I were king, I would have done that. I wouldn't have hired Ron Washington. But here we are going towards 2024. <laughs> And I don't think there's any more clarity as to who's going to own the Angels and who's going to lead them to much better times than a 71-year-old manager. Sesame Street word of the day. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, it's a big question mark here. And, you know, he's a great instructor. I've yep. seen him some of the breakdowns he does with infielders. He's terrific at that. But is he a leader of men? Is he a guy that's going to, like, take the Angels to the new heights? Well, yeah, he did it with the Rangers. That was like, a long time ago. It was like 10 years ago. But but he also comes with all that baggage. And why do the Angels take on all that baggage? I, I concur with you. Hey, if there's anybody who's an Angel fan, you know anybody,
everybody in Orange County. Message them and tell them to join us on the live stream on the podcast and join us on Fans Forum. You got an opinion, right choice, wrong choice. Again, a lot of baseball people that I kind of interacted with in the last 48 hours speak glowingly about what this man has accomplished, but he's been out of the game a decade as a manager, and it's a new world with analytics. Period, exclamation point. Join us on Fans Forum if you're an Angel fan or have an opinion about Ron Washington. Topic two on your sheet. Topic two. We're going to talk about the Padres and their managerial search. It just keeps evolving. Well, it's evolving. It's been delayed a little bit because of the general manager's meetings in Scottsdale. I am of the opinion there is a new candidate at the top of the list. That guy. David Ross, longtime Dodger catcher, finished up in Atlanta, then with the Cubs, got into front office work, named the Cubs manager. He spent four years managing in the midst of rebuilding. And then he got bounced out overnight so they could hire Craig Council for the record-setting contract. I think David Ross wants to manage. David Ross is pushy. He is demanding. He brings clubhouses together. Most people of the opinion he did a pretty good job in a wretched situation as Cubs ownership was getting rid of a lot of high-priced players, and the ones he had all got hurt. He was shocked that he was let go. Most baseball insiders, I think, were a little bit surprised that Milwaukee rated the other guy in the division. and get, <coughs> the, the, the Cubs rated the other guy in the division, Milwaukee, and hired Craig Council. I think David Ross knows about rebuilding. There's no doubt that he knows how to bring a clubhouse together. He was a leader as a player in the Dodger clubhouse. He was a backup catcher. You still got Mike Schilt, but there's been no movement. You did talk to Ryan Flaherty, but there's no experience. And a surprise interview was Ruben Nieblo, highly regarded pitching coach Cleveland. Most people think he did a good job uh, with the Padres. So those right now seem to be the final four. <laughs> On A.J. Preller's list, I think all of a sudden David Ross moves to the top of that list because he's a younger version who knows about analytics, knows about today's modern-day ball player, a little bit different than the experience that Mike Schilt had in St. Louis. Thoughts? It's He's an interesting guy. It's kind of like the Stephen Vogt going over to the Guardians because he was a player and then suddenly he was a manager, you know, so maybe he has some of that uh, street cred with some of his players. But I thought the Cubs overachieved last year. I didn't expect them to be contending for a playoff spot. And that was with Marcus Stroman breaking down at the All-Star break and got nothing out of him in the second half. And with Kyle Hendricks missing, having missed half the season coming off his surgeries. Yeah. And then I didn't think Bellinger was going to have this huge bounce back season either. Um, so, But I heard the Padres are also talking to Phil Nevin today. Well, they could talk, uh, but I think he'd probably be at the back end of the list. Maybe he comes in as somebody's coach. I think Dave Ross, to me, there's there's, there's just the word you use, street cred. I mean, I met him when he was with the Dodgers, and I tracked him. I talked to him a couple times. I was pretty impressed. The Cubs, obviously, were pretty impressed because they hired him instantly as their manager. There's just He's cut from a different cloth. He's a different guy, but boy, he's a... Baseball intellect and a motivator, etc. If I were king, I think I'd hire David Ross rather than Mike Schilt. Hmm. But obviously, Schilt had three winning seasons in St. Louis. Okay, we go from that. We know what has just started in Major League Baseball as they wrap up the general managers' meetings. Oh, my God. I mean, just a huge list here of potential free agents. Let's put them up on the board. Yeah, open your checkbook. The free agent negotiations have begun. It will be interesting to see who signs and how quickly they sign and where they wind up. Is the Otani negotiation going to be long and drawn out? He's represented by as influential a group as there is, CAA. Keep those names up there. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think Otani is, is going to get a mega contract. And maybe, it, maybe it's a two-tiered contract. Maybe it's a lump sum for years one and two when you're my designated hitter. And then there's a reopener that allows you to get more money if you prove that you can pitch coming off the surgery. He will be somebody's DH in 24. He'll be in somebody's rotation on 25. Everybody that I kind of exchange emails with in my network of baseball people of the opinion Dodger Stadium. Blake Snell. He's a wild card here because he's represented by Scott Boros. Blake Snell is probably going to ask for five years. He's probably going to ask for upwards of maybe 
140 to 150 million. Wow. That's an awful lot of money for a guy that had one super year in Tampa, one superb year in San Diego, buffeted by a lot of ups and a lot of downs. I hear Cardinals more than mm. anybody else. Aaron Nola, workhorse. This guy has made himself into a complete pitcher. Philadelphia Phillies, one of their aces with Zach Wheeler. Have a hard time believing that Philly would let him walk. Again, term. How long is the contract? Maybe that'll chase Philadelphia out of the negotiations if the agent asks for a five- or six-year deal. If I were king, I don't give pitchers five- or six-year deals. Wildcard guy is Jared Montgomery. You know, he went uh, from where he was in St. Louis to Texas. Dude's got a World Series ring. He pitched pretty well. Finally matured as a starting pitcher. He bounced around from, I think, Kansas City to the Yankees to uh, on to St. Louis and then to Texas. Josh Hader should be the first reliever to come off the board. I, I'm not sure where he's going to wind up, but everybody needs a closer, and his price tag is probably going to be about $20 million. Cody Bellinger, represented by you-know-who. Scott Boris. Now, this guy had two fabulous seasons with the Dodgers. Then he got hurt. He had two substandard seasons. He looked awful like he'd lost his ability to play. Unbelievable bounce-back year. I don't know how much playing at Wrigley Field's confines had to do with Cody Bellinger's success. Bellinger is out there. Now, the, the issue, because of who the agent is, John, is how much and how long a contract are they going to demand? Is he a one-year wonder at Wrigley Field? Has he re- been reborn? Now is he what he was with the Dodgers? Remains to be seen. Matt Chapman, a Toronto third baseman. Okay. Uh, average hits for home runs. Yash Yamamoto. This, this guy is 25 years old. Spectacular career in Japan. I think his career ERA is like 1.70 in Japan. They say wow. he can be somebody's second or third pitcher. Johung Lee, outfielder, uh, center fielder, can fly, hit 350. Now, I don't know how 350 in Japan equates with Major League Baseball. Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Detroit, opted out of the contract, refused to go to Dodger Stadium, pitched well in a bad situation. He's probably the head of the second tier of free agents. Uh, Justin Turner opted out in Boston. I hear he's going to Arizona. I don't think the Dodgers can bring him back because the Dodgers have so many other needs. Araldus Chapman, once feared closer of the 105-mile-an-hour fastball, uh, bounced around a lot in the last group of years, lost a little bit of his velocity, but he'll probably be the second reliever off the board, well back of the pack from Josh Hader. And a wild-card name that's not up there on the board has to be considered because his agent has met the last two days with teams in Scottsdale, Trevor Bauer. Uh-huh. Do you touch the toxic talent, or doesn't it matter because he never, ever got charged? He paid his price in terms of his credibility, etc. So a ton of names out there. John, go ahead and flip through what you want to talk about. Well, first of all, I think this is going to be like the Machado um, uh, uh, Price Harper year, where everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens to Shohei Otani, right? And that'll be the first domino to fall, mm-hmm. and then they'll all go. There, there's a few names on that list, like Justin Turner. When the Dodgers got rid of him, I thought, thought he was on the downside of his career, but he played really well in Boston. So He's rejuvenated. Um, short-term contract. Yeah, he's a short-term guy. Yeah, he's the AMPM man. You know, that guy, the character of the, the convenience store. The um, the guy that to me is intriguing is Montgomery because I've heard a lot of very positive comments about him, not just in terms of his pitching abilities, but his, his intelligence and that he could be like a really good anchor for a rotation. So we'll see. Um, you know, my theory is... My team can't be in the Otani sweepstakes. I'm not waiting for Otani. I'm going to go after whom I need to go after, mm-hmm. whether I'm, I'm the Padres or I'm the Giants or I'm whomever. Uh, keep in mind, San Francisco's got, got contacts in Japan. I hear they're really interested in Yamamoto, and Lee, the outfielder's landing spot, might be San Francisco. But the Yankees are in on Yamamoto. Keep that in mind. Um of the names that are there, most likely to stay, Philadelphia can't let Nola go. That's that's my gut feel there. Now Texas is Texas is not afraid to spend, um, and there's a wild rumor out there that Texas is going to be in the Otani sweepstakes. Wow! Now 
does Shohei look good in a cowboy hat? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that that's the rumor out there, considering what Texas spent over two years to become a World Series team. So lots of names and notes in the news there. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's all starting to open up, all this free agency. I mean, this is an amazing time of the year. But have, have we seen any, anyone sign yet? I don't think anyone no, has. None of the big names. None of the big names, right. No. Uh, one, one sidebar question for you. You, in left field, are the general manager of the Padres. From left field, are you spending all your time to try to re-sign Soto right now? Or are you spending time to go find potential starting pitchers three, four, and five right now? Should you take care of Soto? Should you trade Soto if you can't get him signed immediately? Keep Soto, let him run the season, see what kind of season he has. So you're dealing with Soto, or you're going to go deal with the pitchers? we got to walk and chew gum at the same time. So I think you can have conversations with Boris. Apparently, they've already talked. Um, so you, you try to work a deal, but you go in with the expectation that it's going to be hard to get Boris to let his client sign with a year left on his deal. So while you're cooking that up— you might shop Soto, but to me, that's the wrong plan. And don't get rid of Soto. He's the best, one of the best hitters in all of baseball. You keep him for one more year at minimum. Um, and then meanwhile, yeah, you go shopping for pitching. And and maybe you try to bring back Snell. Montgomery might be interesting. There might be some, you know, like even bringing back Lugo or Waka for a little bit less money might be interesting. Depends where they're going to land. But I think you've got to do both. You've got to go after Soto. you got to go and restock the starting rotation. You got to figure out what in the hell you're going to do in center field too. Okay. Here's what I would do right now. I would meet with Scott Boros as soon as the meeting's over in Scottsdale. We know that they turned down 15 years, 440 Hmm. in Washington that led to the trade. Well, at that point in time, that was about 30 million per. Yeah. My gut feel is his price tag is going to be 30 this year. You come up with a five-year deal. Just five. And you jump it incrementally. He's going to get 30 this year. You get him 35 the second year. You give him 40 for the remaining three years. Then, if he continues to be a superstar, he becomes a free agent again at age 30 or 31. We'll see where baseball's economics are. Maybe you can re-sign him then. But... I don't think they should offer him 10 years or 15 years. Give him five state-of-the-art high money. It allows him to re-enter the free agent market, whatever it's going to look like, at age 30 or 31. Yes or no? Well, if I'm the Padres, yeah. But I don't think Soto's signing that deal because they're going to want like an 11-year deal, just like Bogart's got, or like Machado got a 10-year deal or whatever it was. Because when you get... When that contract expires and he's in his early 30s, you know, his his skill level is kind of peaking, maybe starting to plateau, maybe even declining a bit. And then, you know, he's going to get a lot less for his mid-30s, late-30s. So I don't think Boris signs him to a five-year deal, you know, so even a state-of-the-art money. He's betting on himself that he's going to continue this. He'll only be 30 Mm -hmm. if you take my five-year offer. But someone else is going to put a 10-year deal on the table. Because that's that's the going rate these days. No, it's the only place that's going rate these days is down at Tony Gwynn Way at Petco Park. (laughs) John, I don't see anybody. I I knew you were going to do the show from left field and just be off on a tangent. I don't see anybody offering anybody 10-year contracts anywhere in baseball. Where? No, see? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking. I mean, what, what don't about— think, as, yeah. <laughs> as Kevin Costner would say in Bull Durham, don't think you hurt the team. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about uh, Garrett Cole? How long is his contract? I want to say— Well, he's a pitcher, so it's yeah. shorter. Um, but Aaron Judge, how about him? What, he well, signed, he, yeah, he signed through age 45, I think. Yeah, something crazy. But those are the exceptions. But Soto and Aaron Judge are kind of, you know, at the top of the heap. I I I, ha- I would have a hard time believing Boris would let Soto do that, even if it's way above market the first five years. Well, it, again, it depends on the competitive offerings. If all you know, if all these other teams are dealing with this debt to you know income ratio challenge, and they've all got to tamper or, or temper their their payroll, then he might not have as many options as he think, thinks he's going to have. Okay, fans form chat boxes open. Do you think Padres' priority one should be Soto, 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 
or should they go after pitching and then circle back? Because Soto still owes them another year. You're a Padre fan. You're a baseball fan. Jump into the Fans Forum chat box because at the end of the show, we're going to talk about that. Hey, we get to halftime. Our Thursday podcast kicking off this great sports weekend is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. John, you've done business at Dixie Line. I've done business mm-hmm. at Dixie Line. These people do business with everybody involved with projects at their homes or with their businesses at Dixie Line Lumber. I just like the diversity of things that they offer. And they walk a novice like me down the hallway and <laughs> yeah. say, this is the kind of lumber you want for the back patio package or the extension room mm-hmm. on your home. What do you like about them? Well, it's not just the lumber. I mean, you go in and you want to remodel your bathroom or you want to get some new kitchen cabinets. They have like designers that will work with you and kind of put a plan together. And it, yeah, and when it comes to lumber, you may not be building a house, but you might be building like a patio cover or, or some kind of an island in your backyard. They've got some cool stuff there. And they've been at San Diego for 100 years. So if you want to work with someone you trust, go to Dixie Line Lumber. We like these guys. These are the people we're talking about at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores of San Diego. We start the second half of our podcast, kicking off this great sports weekend. And a reminder, we're announcing something new as we've just passed the first anniversary mark of our podcast and what we're doing on Instagram. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. We want you to be part of our team. John, explain how this works. Okay, so you just got to go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There you can sign up. Just type in your name and your email. And then what you're going to do is you're going to get access to a lot of exclusive content content from Hacksaw, more video content, more more uh, updates on sports information. And we've got a couple of things planned after the new year where you can be a co-host in this podcast and appear as a window as a panelist so we can get you involved, get closer to the podcast project. But the first thing you got to do is sign up. So do that at LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Go to my website, upper right hand side of the homepage. You'll see a big orange box. Join the insiders group. It'll take you then to the information page and as we launch this thing as we go a step farther on we go john let's talk nfl football yeah the, the what are we doing are we doing the raiders yet no we're going to do the nfl update because we got a lot of big games up this weekend some really fun games to follow let's start with the chargers and the detroit lions big boy football hey chargers fans you're not playing the Bears and the Jets or the Raiders anymore. Uh, Bolts, this is hard. This is a short work week, John, coming off the Monday night football victory against the Jets. The Lions make every game a rock fight. Man, <laughs> are they tough. Uh, the Chargers, they're 0-3 this season against good teams. And this is Detroit 6-2 and coming in here. Good team. Bolts are averaging 341 yards per game on offense. Their defense is giving up 375, but they played a lot of substandard teams more recently. I don't know where the chunk plays are yet with Justin Herbert. I mean, he had 13 hits and five sacks in the game against the Jets. They hardly ever gave him any time to go down the field. Now, he's not turning the ball over. 13 touchdowns, only four interceptions. But there's not a lot of big plays. Of course, they're without their number two and now their number three wide receivers with the injuries to Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. They got a target. Quentin Johnson, the number one pick. Plain and simple. He's big and he's physical. He drops passes. He runs wrong routes. you got to keep going to him and get him into it. They don't have their tight end as 100% healthy in Gerald Everett. And, you know, I don't think they have a hell of a lot of team speed right now uh, in the wide receiving core. Yes, Austin Eckler's back, but they're averaging just a shade over three yards per carry. The receivers are averaging only 10 yards per catch. It's just not a big down-the-play field. Um, Offense... They're struggling. Defense has got 31 sacks, but there's always a but when you're talking about chargering. 15 of the 31 sacks have come against the Woeful Jets and the Woeful Raiders. Right. So I don't know how really good the pass rush truly is. Detroit, we're in the Hawaiian blue. I didn't realize this till this morning. They're number two in the league in offense now. Number two. Nice. 
Pedestrian Detroit hasn't won bleep in how many years? Yeah, decades. They're number two in the league, averaging 390 per game. They're number five defensively in the NFL. We knew that, allowing just 296 per game. Detroit's allowed only 17 touchdowns in eight games. Uh, eight into 17, carry wow. one. That's amazing. That's less than half. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's 17 touchdowns in only eight games. And when you have the ball on third down, good luck to you. You're completing 32% of your third down conversions against that Detroit wow. Jeez, defense. These guys are legit. 21 sacks, 10 takeaways, 3 yards per carry against the rush. Jared Goff, the guy the Rams gave up on. Jared Goff has got a quarterback rating of 96, almost equal to Justin Herbert's. Not turning the ball over. Amor St. Brown, 57 catches, 11 yards per catch. Kid from USC is playing really well. This tight end they got out of the Big Ten, Matt Laporta, 43 receptions. He's averaging 10 yards per catch. Their backup receivers, when they come off the bench, are averaging 18, 12, and 12. And then there's the young running back, came out of Bama, Jamir Gibbs. 564 all-purpose yards in five games. Wow. He's averaging five yards per rush and five yards per Per carry or per reception, dump and run. This is a pretty tough team. You ever been in a rock fight? You don't want to be in a rock fight. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know the the Chargers. They they beat the Jets, but that game was just terrible. It was oh. just awful. All these punts and it's just inept offense. I mean, the, the Lions are a big step up over the over the Jets. Well, the Jets defense that looked really impressive. Lions defense, I think, is equally impressive. So, I. This will be a challenge for the Chargers. You know, these people that are emailing me and my friends, stop it. Chargers are back. Please, <laughs> you beat the Bears and you beat the Jets. Now you're going to get beat up by Detroit. Next game, 49ers-Jaguars. San Fran coming off the bye week. Brock Purdy getting healthier. Big issue. All of a sudden, turning the football over. Christian McCaffrey is going to be able to run the ball against what is the strength of the Jaguars, their defensive front. Trevor Lawrence, Etienne, the running back, Ridley, the wide receiver. They're making things happen offensively. This is kind of going to be a grinded-out game. Jacksonville, is they're playing everybody really hard and causing problems. San Francisco couldn't lose its fourth in a row, could it? I hope not. I mean, geez, they're going through a tough stretch right now. But, you know, the Jaguars are, you know, they're a pretty decent team. We saw how they lit up the Chargers in the playoffs. On we go. Ravens, Browns. Deshaun Watson meet the Baltimore defense. Ha, wow. Uh, Baltimore's defense is giving up 265 yards per game. Baltimore's defense has got 35 sacks, 13 takeaways. On third down, lucky you, you get to com- convert 34% of your third down plays against a Ravens defense. And you got the hot MVP candidate, Lamar Jackson, at quarterback that's doing everything. Now, when he lines up at the line of scrimmage, that guy wearing number 97, that's Miles Garrett. Miles hmm. Garrett leads the defense, got 27 quarterback sacks. Cleveland's defense is kind of carrying this team, but... Boy, this might be a long Sunday for Deshaun Watson with no running game and to face that Baltimore front. Yeah, this is going to be a like a defensive, you know, uh, challenge between both of these teams. But you know, you got to go with the Ravens here, right? I mean, they're they're stacked, and you even predicted they're going to win the division. Raiders, New York Jets. Well, there was a lot of excitement last week in Las Vegas. Raider fan, drunk Raider fan, <laughs> celebrating because the Raiders beat the junior varsity of the New York football giants who have been destroyed by injuries. So Antonio Pierce now gets to do it against somebody else, a really good New York Jets defense. Aiden O'Connell, young quarterback, Purdue, meet the Jets in their street-tough defense. If the Jets defense cranks it up, this week against the Raider Nation, like they did last week against Justin Herbert and what looked at times maybe to be a potential jet victory. It's going to be a tough day for the Raiders. What do you, so what do you tell the drunken Raider fans? Well, the drunken Raider fans are suddenly believing in their team because they won last week. And they think, man, they're going to be rolling again. But I, I just don't see it. I don't. Okay. Uh, speaking of the Raider Nation, next topic on the table. Oh, yeah. The Raiders got some potential coaches here. Yeah, this is really interesting because I've tried to put together a list of what people have told me around the league. Uh, obviously, the top name at the board is Jim Harbaugh if Jim Harbaugh gets removed at Michigan. And that's a whole story unto itself we're about to address. 
Um, Dan Quinn has done a phenomenal job rebuilding everything that is defense with the Dallas Cowboys. Now, he was a former head coach in Atlanta. He's a fiery guy. He's got a lot of expertise that side of the football. Dan Quinn, I think, probably winds up getting an interview. Jim Schwartz is a former head coach. Did not do well, but that was a mess in Detroit way back in the early 2000s. Schwartz has rebuilt his rep with what he did in Philadelphia, what he did in Detroit. That's a pretty good guy. He is now the architect of that Cleveland Browns defense. Brian Flores, former head coach, Miami, did a really good job in a short period of time and then got bounced uh, and has moved around, went to Pittsburgh as a, an assistant, went to Minnesota. Uh, this this guy's reputation as a builder of defense, and the players really responded to him, that carries a lot. This guy is being mentioned everywhere. Uh, Lou Anaruno, he is the defensive coordinator in Cincinnati, and he's fixed what's been bad for a long period of time. One of the reasons the Bengals have been an AFC championship team, and one of the reasons they went to the Super Bowl, aside from Joe Burrow's greatness, is the defense that Lou built. He'll get some interviews. Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator, Detroit Lions. He's the one that fixed Jared Goff. And I, you know, they got themselves a number two offense in the NFL. A lot of people think he deserves interviews. And Frank Smith, who? Frank hmm. Smith is the offensive coordinator for Tua in Miami. Hmm. And you've seen what they've done the last two years there. He's been part of that new coaching staff uh, that they put together. So those are hot candidates for the Raiders' job. Now, they're not going to hire anybody immediately. This thing will start in January, etc. Any of those names light your light? Well, I mean, a couple of them are pretty good names. I mean, like Dan Quinn has done some great things with Dallas. He was uh, a candidate for a lot of jobs last year. And of course, Harbaugh is kind of the, the the sexy name. But if you're one of those guys on that list and and you are offered the Raiders job or at least offered an opportunity to interview, do you jump at it? Are you excited? Or do you say, hey, man, it's Mark Davis. It's the Raiders. I don't know if I really want to go there because I might be set up for failure. So you're you're using the word dysfunction. Yes. Without using the word dysfunction. So that's why I'm wondering if these coaches are going to shy away from the opportunity. I think a lot depends as to whether they hire general manager first or does Mark Davis pick the coach and then interview general managers. Weird scenario there. Ray, Raider Nation, out of jail on bail. Join us. Uh, We want to hear what you've got to say. Who do you think is the hot candidate, right candidate uh, for the Raider head coaching job? And do you agree with John's slur of the Raiders <laughs> using the word dysfunction in the same sentence yeah. with the Raider Nation? Okay, on we go. We got college football storylines to talk about. Okay, yeah, you were just hinting about Jim Harbaugh. So what's going on with this, this crisis? This is a big war. This thing has gotten uglier and uglier. Uh, you're aware about what's happened in the last two weeks. <clears throat> the fact that the Big Ten was made aware that a Michigan staffer had purchased tickets to scout 35 different Big Ten games over three years, shot video from the stands or on the sideline in those games of opposing teams, signals, teams that Michigan was going to wind up playing. He has been fired from that job now. Michigan is under investigation. And then out of nowhere, middle of this past week, comes word that three other schools have now been implicated in stealing signals, Michigan signals. Oh, A former staffer at another school has presented, presented evidence with spreadsheets and everything to the Big Ten that Ohio State, Purdue, and Rutgers, <laughs> Rutgers. Co- collaborated together <laughs> to steal Michigan signals last season. Really? Now the Big Ten has just not the scandal in Ann Arbor, which went on for three years when they were 33-3. and three. Now they got insinuations that there's scandals that Ohio State did it and Rutgers did it and Purdue did it against Michigan. Mm-hmm. So this is an intriguing story. On top of that, the Big Ten interviewed all the football coaches in the conference, all the ADs in the conference. They all demanded immediate disciplinary action against Harbaugh. Michigan yesterday, actually last night, released a statement that the Big Ten has overstepped its bounds, that Tony Petiti, the new commissioner, does not have the right to intervene in Michigan's football season. This is an NCAA thing. This is not a Big Ten issue. Mm. The Big Ten's response is the head coach, it's called bylaw 11.11, the head coach is responsible for the actions of any staffer 
in the football program. Yeah. Including that guy who was caught videotaping, mm-hmm. who has been since been fired. So Tony Petiti is of the opinion, I do have the right to discipline him. What I think is going to happen, and it's going to be followed by an injunction. Michigan is going to go to court and seek a restraining order against the Big Ten. I think what's going to happen is they are going to suspend Harbaugh indefinitely. Rest of the season for whatever's left there, that includes the Ohio State game, and obviously the college football players. I don't think they're going to sanction the football team itself, but I think they're going to go after Harbaugh. And a week from now, we're going to be, do we have any lawyers here who are friends of ours? (laughs) Uh, We need a lawyer here to sit at the table. A week from now, their Big Ten is going to be hit with an injunction that Michigan's going to get saying you've overstepped your boundaries. This is an NCAA issue. So who controls the discipline on Harbaugh? Because it's Harbaugh's program, Harbaugh's people. And that bylaw says coach responsible for every staffer in that program. Yeah, of course he's responsible. And of course the Big Ten should be able to take action because it's their conference. Um, You know, when I first heard about this story, I I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I just thought guys were going, watching the games, probably watching the coaching staff. But when they brought in all the technology, then I went, okay, you crossed the line now. Oh, now you found your scruples. Yeah, well, on Monday on the bonus (laughs) podcast, you said I was full of crap. Well, yeah, but I'm learning more about this. So, yeah, so at least they weren't banging on trash cans, but they came close to that. you know, it's it's not, you know, that's going beyond, you know, sportsmanship. That's that's really undermining the whole thing. You know, the Big Ten likes to pride themselves on being very proud, integrity, and this great brand of a Big Ten, which has more than 10 teams, which is kind of crazy. And it just seems silly that this is coming out, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just undermining their reputation. So if Harbaugh gets ejected, what more perfect place to go than the Raiders? <laughs> You know, it's just like all the bad boys. Connecting the dots, aren't you? Yes. I I guarantee you that this will be a topic in the next Monday bonus podcast. You're a college football fan. Hey, fans forum is open. Your reaction, Big Ten, NCAA, who has the right to discipline Jim Harbaugh? Does Harbaugh deserve to get fired? You tell me. Because remember, there's a sidebar story. Harbaugh's still under investigation for the COVID recruiting violations oh, yeah. and the shutdown in 2020. That was the hamburger thing, right? No, no. That was making contact with recruits Okay, during what was supposed to be the COVID blackout period. Right. But I think they he got people over and they, they met and had a hamburger. <laughs> At least that's how I thought the story went. Okay. We go from that. We've got an interesting weekend of games here ahead of us. Yeah. I mean, so it's a big Saturday here. A lot of big games. Mm-hmm. Talking about Michigan, they're at the top of your list. Ambush, Michigan, at Penn State. State College, winter's arrived. Michigan's got a fabulous quarterback. If it were not for all these West Coast quarterbacks, J.J. McCarthy should probably get some type of vote recognition in the Heisman Trophy race. But they got McCarthy, the big-time running back, Blake Corum. I think they got maybe the best defense in the country. I don't know if Penn State's young quarterback, Drew Allar, is going to be able to hold up to everything Michigan does defensively. But I do think McCarthy's going to face a challenge because Penn State is phenomenally athletic on defense, very fast, very physical. So they're going to slow McCarthy down. I think Michigan's got too much. USC, Oregon. Trojans go to Eugene, dragging with them a defense that's allowing 436 yards per game. They got Now they got two defensive coordinators after firing uh, Alex Grinch. But they're facing Bo Nix, who's one of the top throwers in the conference. Caleb Williams is, is having a mystical season, but his ability to get the ball in the end zone has decreased the last four weeks just because their offensive line is not very good. And because USC's defense is awful, Bo Nix is going to go crazy. I got Oregon winning that one like I got Michigan hanging on to beat Penn State. Washington, Utah. Michael Penix, 26 touchdowns on the season, leads the conference in yardage. They face the Utah Utes. Their defense has given up 282. Defense isn't real sexy, but they play it really well. I think Utah will slow down Washington to a degree. Utah just does not have enough uh, offense. Uh, And then we got uh, kind of a really interesting game here. Vegas, Wyoming. We got two guys in the running for coach of the year. UNLV is getting zero pub nationally. 
They got seven wins. They haven't had seven really been win wins since the guys in the covered stages came across the mountains <laughs> with horses. That's a long time ago. UNLV, Barry Odom's done a phenomenal job. Former head coach, Arkansas. I mean, he used the transfer portal. He recruited some kids from the Deep South. Vegas having a hell of a season. And uh, Craig Bowles has done a great job at Wyoming. They don't have a lot of resources. These are two old school guys. Bowles has lost his last two quarterbacks to the transfer portal. He lost his top running back that went to the transfer portal, and yet he's got Wyoming in second place. So this would be kind of a fun game, Vegas versus Wyoming. So, John Riley says about any of those games? Well, I'm going to be watching the SC-Oregon game because we've been looking forward to this because oh, yeah. SC had all those tough games on the down road on their schedule. But yeah, Oregon, I think, is going to carve them up. Um, and and then, you know, the other game, Utah-Washington to me is interesting because, I mean, is is what's the what's the guy's name, the quarterback for uh, Utah who's been hurt? Well, Cam Rising is done for the year. He's done. Okay. He's going to ask for an extra year of eligibility because he's not, not fully recovered from the knee surgery post Rose Bowl injury. Okay, so he's still, but you know, their 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 second string guy has been doing really well. I love to see Washington just roll, and wouldn't it be great if they got into the college playoff and really, you know, we had a West Coast representative to go up against the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world in the playoff. I'd well, like to see that. Keep this in mind, because of the way the Pac-12 is structured in its farewell season, there's no divisions. One will play two in Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. We got a rematch, Ducks, Huskies. I'm almost positive. Terrific. I'm looking forward to that, too. We always need something to talk about <laughs> yeah. around Christmas time. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's college football. Let's change topics, talk about something a little bit more serious and kind of sad. Yeah, you, you kind of you know tipped me off a little bit on this story, and I was checking it out. This is a, definitely a sad story. His name is Adam Johnson. He was a journeyman NHL player at age 29, uh, played out his contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He went abroad, signed in England. He's playing in what's called the English Elite League. He was at a game this past week, got hit at center ice and just a fluke check, got flipped, throat got cut, a skate cut, and he bled to death. Mm. He's only 29 years of age. Uh, they just had the funeral service in Hibbing, Minnesota yesterday, had almost 2,000 people, including NHL players that came to the funeral. It, it's tragic the way it's happened, um, and now there's this huge discussion about how can we make the game safer. The NHL and the union have met twice this week to talk about the use of throat guards. It's almost like a turtleneck sweater with padding right here hmm. that protects the throat, but it's heavy. It, players have worn it. They feel very uncomfortable. They think it kind of limits their ability to swing their stick, etc. You know, it's just not a skate situation. You can get hit in the throat with a high stick, an accidental high stick. You watch defensemen and forwards in the combat in front of the net twirling guys around mm -hmm. to try to clear the crease. You could get hit that way. You take a you could take a deflected shot, a puck to the neck. Mm. So but the NHL, it has to be negotiated through the union. The Pittsburgh Penguins are the first team though, the minute he passed away mandated every one of their minor league players under contract in the American League and the East Coast Hockey League have to wear throat guards. All three leagues in the Canadian junior ranks, which is the primary developmental area, uh, Ontario Hockey League, Quebec Junior League, and the Western Hockey League, all mandated all players effective last Saturday had to wear throat guards. College hockey is examining it. They haven't, haven't made a firm and final decision yet. Uh, some NHL clubs, I was told... The Ducks have told their players, if you wish to wear it, try it out in practice, wear it in the games. We're not ready to mandate everybody must wear it. But, you know, you wear you wear all these all the shoulder pads, you wear these arm guards so you don't get skate cuts on your wrist or quads, uh, elongated gloves now. You obviously wear stuff on your quads and your knees. The, and hockey players wear what I guess are called calf pads, wraparound, mm -hmm. so there's not a skate cut there. Guys still do get cut. They fall at certain angles or exposed, and if they, they can get nicked. Uh, but it's a tragic thing. Uh, I would hope in the, the, at the funeral 
the word was, I hope he did not die in vain. So maybe something good will come out of an accidental fluke hit at center ice. Well, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often, you know, mm-hmm. especially with a blade on the ice. But this, doesn't this remind you a little bit about the Steve Yeager thing with the Dodgers back yes, in the 70s? With the bat. And Yeah. And then they, he had to get the throat guard and that became a mandated thing in MLB. When I was in the minor leagues in hockey, in the old Eastern Hockey League, we played a game against the New Haven Blades, and they had a veteran defenseman, big, big guy, fell behind the net going for a puck, and one of our guys tripped over him and just cut him on the back of the neck, skate cut by accident. Mm-hmm. It was gory. He bled. They saved his life. It just, it was a lot, it looked a lot worse than it actually turned out to be, but the cut where the cut was in the back of the neck, it just, oh, it was terrible. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see where the story goes, but obviously the NHL's addressed it immediately with the Players Association, and I, th- I think they're going to come up with a mandate that you were in all this other safety stuff, including visors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a throat guard's going to happen. You're a hockey fan. Feel free to jump on board there. One final topic on the table before we go to Fans Forum. Love Hacksaw. You cover it all. We're going to talk F1 now. Well, this is a war that's broken out. Formula One. They have 10 teams. The amount of money they're generating is phenomenal in F1 racing. And now they have expanded. They have five events in F1 racing in the United States next year on the calendar. About five now. Michael Andretti, Indy 500 star from the Andretti name family, has applied to go to Formula One, wants to build, it's called Andretti Cadillac GMW, wants to run in 2025 in F1. $200 million entry fee. He's made his application with the money. It's been accepted by the provisory committee that screens. There were 10 different teams, 10 different entities that wanted to join F1. His is the only one that got approval. Now it has to go forward to be voted on. Total revolt. There are 10 F1 teams. There's one American, Haas U.S. Racing. Only ones at this point that say they want Andretti to come on board. The other nine say no. The cut in the pie would be too steep. We don't want to share it. Now, to me, that's (laughs) hypocritical. This is Formula One, which now has five events, including next week's Las Vegas Grand Prix. I remember they are making mega money on, on tickets and on licensing for the F1 event. I mean, it's a big, big, bloody event. You go to Vegas, you won't go to the casinos. You're going to party for three days with the F1 drivers. Right. So they want the U.S. money, but they don't want a U.S. team to come in here, which has really upset some people. Andretti wants to be the 11th team on the grid, second American team. He's already got a contract with Colton Herta, longtime driver who came from F1. He would be their guy running the Cadillac entry. Uh, but these these other teams are just dead set against changing and expanding the field. Don't know where it's going to go, but that's that's the latest story that's just broken. It is an anti-American, ugly American sentiment from F1 owners in Europe, even though they want our American dollar for the they five do. minutes. Yeah, but this is just wrong, wrong-headed thinking. You know, because it's like a like a zero-sum fixed pie thinking. Because the sport is expanding. You know, and there's more revenue, more running opportunities, getting more teams involved in the sport can only make the sport even better. So, um, I mean, imagine if Major League Baseball still had the original 12 and never expanded. The sport would be a tiny fraction of what it is today. So this is wrongheaded thinking. But 200 million as an entry fee to get in? Well, look at the money they're going to generate. That's why the fee is so good. That's unbelievable. These these other nine teams say... Oh, we'll take Andretti's two hundred million. We don't want him though to cut up the bigger the bigger pie. Yeah. My theory is, if Andretti Cadillac does really well in F one, and that's that's saying a lot because it's really hard to sure. win. Just you know, ask Team Mercedes, which hasn't won bleep in two years because Team Red Bull and Max Verstappen's gone crazy. But if Andretti comes there and becomes the first American team to do really well, it's been a long time since anybody went to Europe and did well that was from an American unit. He did well. He'd grow the sport even more. 
Oh, no, in North America. No doubt about it. Yeah. So th- they need to find a way to let this guy in. And, and it'd be great for America, too, yeah. to have another team. Hey, our Thursday podcast, Kicking Off the Great Sports Weekend, is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Does not matter what the projects are for the fall, into the winter, around the holidays, or in early next year. You need a partner to do those projects. You need the people at Dixon Line Lumber. Fans Forum is open for business. Do we have anybody with any opinions <laughs> on the hot topics we put on the table. We are looking for Padre fan to jump into the chat box and talk about Juan Soto. We are looking for Raider Nation. Your thoughts on the coaching situation. Who wants to talk about uh, what's going to happen in Formula One? Who's got an opinion on some of the topics we put out on the board? John, it's your turn. These are your best friends. <laughs> Far away. All right, let's go to Ed. He's ca- talking about the Ron Washington uh, situation. He says a lot of the same criticisms were leveled at Joe Torrey. In terms of being out of touch? Yeah. or baseball? Yeah, I think so. He had been away for a while. Exactly. Well... Ron Johnson has quite the rep as a teacher, but Ron Johnson has not been a decision maker in baseball with this new breed of player and agent and rules and analytics in more than a decade. It's just, to me, really a surprise hire. But the more I dug overnight, the more I came up with the theory, maybe Ron Johnson is Ron Washington, I should say, is just the guy to groom the next manager and the next manager might well be Tory Hunter, former Angel, former Twin, very intelligent, very popular guy. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, I, that was when you mentioned that, I went, oh, okay, that does make sense because Ron Washington. I mean, that, that takes a lot of energy, a lot of time on the road. And you said, how old is he? He's in his 70, 71. Oldest and, manager in baseball. Yeah. Now with Dusty Baker having retired. That's a, that's a lot to ask. Um, so it's it, if, if this is part of, you know, Artie Moreno's scheme to have like a, a succession plan, hey, that might work out. Okay, next question. Okay, let's hit some of these social media comments. Got some really good ones in here. And uh, let's start here with uh, a little bit about the Ducks. Um, this is uh, from Aliso Viejo Avalanche. He says, so far, so good for these young Ducks. Great discussion and analysis. Surprise team so far. Now, they did get shut out by the Pittsburgh Penguins at home after having won four in a row on the road. Uh, Got to keep people healthy. I think that, that more than anything else. But I'm still waiting for a few of these other veterans to really get it going. Silverberg has just not been the same player. And Reek had a good bounce back season last year after a year of injuries. Troy Terry is carrying them up front. The young kid, Leo Carlson's playing well. What they're getting done in, in uh, on the defense uh, with Mintyukov, the young Russian defenseman, is, has been kind of a surprise because he's only 19. It is a long season, uh, but hey, so far so good. And by the way, speaking of puck, the guys above them, L.A. Kings, off to a 7-2-2 two, two start. Nice. That's pretty impressive. That is impressive. I mean, you know, so we were kind of in the doldrums for a little while in SoCal hockey, but now it's a big resurgence. We move on. you got something here on Fans Forum. Let us know. Go ahead, John. Okay, let's get a Clipper comment here from Gary, and he says, Reports are saying that um, James Harden and, and Westbrook already fought in practice. I, I've not heard that, so that might be a reach. Um, I think the bigger question that we have to address is how are they going to carve up the minutes between Harden and Westbrook? Because they're kind of the same position guy. Mm. So that that becomes the question. You're not going to play them together, I don't think. Um, maybe injuries will have something to do with it. But Harden Harden's on kind of a minutes cap, at least early on, because he missed so much time in training camp. You don't want him to suffer a hamstring injury or a quad injury because he's not truly in game shape. So uh, I think dividing the minutes will be kind of interesting to see how the Clippers handle this going forward. So far, so good. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's healthy. Paul George, for the most part, is healthy. Did have a setback the other night. They've lost Mason Plumley, their backup center, who gave him tough guy minutes off the bench. He's gone for three to four months with a sprained mm. knee. Mm. So that's a that's kind of a setback in terms of their depth and their numbers, but uh, let's just look at the box scores every game and see if the minutes between RW, Westbrook, and J.H., Harden, (laughs) I am the system, 
whether those minutes are balanced out or whether Harden starts to play a lot more minutes going forward. Do you think there's any scenario where all four superstars and one big man could be on the court at the same time? Injuries play a part in that. Yeah. If one of those bigs goes down, gets hurt, maybe. Maybe. I yeah. mean, does Paul George then become a forward? Kawhi become a forward? I'd, I'd be an intriguing matchup, but uh, last I checked, you, both those guys in the backcourt need the basketball in their hands. Yeah. And I don't know how that works because there's only one basketball on the floor, isn't there? Still, yeah, they some, haven't changed that rule. They don't change that one. Carry on. Moving on. Let's talk about the Dodgers. This is from Triple Taylor. He says, Kershaw was kept two seasons too long. I would like to see Bauer back. And the reports came out. But but that's probably a long shot. Got to get Otani at all costs. You will make it back tenfold. I think Otani is item one. Everybody that kind of candorous is of the opinion Otani is going to be a Dodger stadium. Now they're going to have to go find at least one more veteran pitcher, if not two. Now maybe those are lower level rental guys. Bauer? That Trevor Bauer? That history with Trevor Bauer? I'd, that'd be a tough reach for me. Hell, Trevor Bauer to the Padres? On low budget, prove yourself <laughs> contra? I'd... I I guess we'll have to. I'll just throw this out there, and you people can think about this on the live stream, and then come back next Monday if you want. Would you touch Trevor Bauer if you were a Dodger, a Padre, or an Angel executive, and they all need some type of frontline pitching? Would you touch Trevor Bauer? You think about that, and you join us. Go ahead. Next question. Okay, let's move on here. Let's go. Uh, you didn't answer the question. Well, the, the question, sure. Well, for first of all, I think um, there's no way the Dodgers can can do, go back on their word. You know, when they when they let him go. But now that all the news has come out, you know, you're not inheriting as much baggage as you thought you were. The Padres need a pitcher. You know, Seidler have unlimited money. I don't know, but you know, Preller could surprise us here. I don't know. Based on the fact you don't have any scruples, I guess I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit here about. Oh, this is a good comment. This is from Cress, and he says, "I'm." He's talking about the, the those that failed in the MLB playoffs. He says, "I'm proud of my Phillies. Enjoy this bashing my Phillies. Save failures when your Oilers don't win the Stanley Cup this season, and my New Jersey Devils do. Also, when Jack Hughes is league MVP. Jack Hughes, a great hockey player. New Jersey has flipped." their team in about a two-year span thanks to the draft and veteran free agent acquisitions. Philadelphia had a really, really good season, but it just kind of stopped hitting right there uh, at the end. I was kind of surprised, but as as we had talked on prior podcasts, I was surprised at the whole scenario as to who wasn't there come World Series time. No Atlanta, no Philadelphia, obviously no San Diego. And the Mets and Yankees, we have the explanations as to them being devastated with injuries. But yeah, congratulations to Texas, but it was really a strange outcome because nobody, nobody aside from somebody maybe married to Tori Lavallo or Bruce Bochy would have thought that Texas-Arizona could have been the World Series. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, crazy. I mean, no one expected that at all. The Phillies were rolling. But you know what's interesting with New Jersey sports? Sometimes I, you know, I'm a West Coast guy, and I kind of forget how close South Jersey is to Philly. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, the, and North Jersey is probably more connected to New York. And so uh, some of these allegiances, how fans line up, is kind of interesting to me. Oh, there's a lot of split families there, too. Yeah. You know. Somebody roots for the Mets. What the hell's wrong with you? Go back upstairs to your bedroom. I'm rooting for the Phillies. Carry on. Carry it on. Okay, we got to get in some of these uh, Raider comments. And this one's from George. And he says, Lee, as the play-by-play announcer for the Chargers in San Diego State many years, I know you saw some terrible football. What you didn't see is loyalty. That's what we have. We don't always like the ownership decisions, players, coaches, and game outcome. But we do our part, which is to get loud. Out on game day, Raiders nations for life uh, from the Bay to L.A. to Las Vegas. Oh, anybody needs an excuse to put paint on, wear a costume and get drunk. That's OK. <laughs> I have no problem with fan. Fan equals fanatical, right? Mm-hmm. But a little common sense kind of missing in the Raider nation. You don't hold anybody responsible for how pathetic the franchise has been. For all those years from Mark Davis taking over to the last 10 years with Al Davis, you're rare under yourself, costumes included. I don't know very many fan bases that would tolerate the incompetence, the, as he would say, dysfunction of the <laughs> Raider Nation. But you're entitled to do whatever you want 
I just don't understand why these fans are paying those prices to see bad product on the field. Or you're just paying those prices to get drunk and wear your costume. I don't know, John. Well, you Bail know, me out of this one. Yeah, it, it on one level, it seems utterly ridiculous. The way they show up dressed like Darth Vader and like these comic book people. But you know what? You got to give props to the loyalty, you know, oh, yeah. and, and that's what they really believe. It's it's that, you know, it's Raider Nation. It's like it's built into their DNA. One of the guys on social media was saying, you can wear your Raider jersey. You'd be in Europe. and You're going to run into some other fan and they're going to say, hey, what's up? So this is definitely a, a legit family. And it's cool to see, like, you know, when the Cubs fans, they were they stunk, but they always showed up, you know, and here the Raiders fans are that way. You know, it doesn't matter how good or bad the team is they're in it for life okay well accept or accept your rationale to be who you are dress the way you are and act the way you are raider nation (laughs) as long as you're part of my team which means again you got to join us by going to my website and become you imagine people wearing that gear to one of our raider insider (laughs) or one of our insider group want you to join hacksaw's insider group which we're just starting a couple more here okay let's uh, let's get this usc comment here and this is from e gonzalez he says very disappointing season alex grinch had to go lincoln riley will be under pressure to hire a defensive coordinator that will bring respectability back to the usc defense next season's brutal schedule won't help but riley is being paid top dollar to make sure usc competes for championships lower tier bowls games just won't cut it he said this week after the firing of alex grinch i promise you i will build a nationally ranked defense we will hold you to that as soon as you're done getting your brains blown out up at oregon <laughs> we will hold you to that in the off season. but why would you not be able to go higher a great defensive mind. It's USC with maybe as many resources as anybody in America with the tradition and the history of the Trojans and fight on. Link Riley owes the Trojan club a better defense. You know, back in the Pete Carroll era, Reggie Bush and Liner, did they have a really good defense back then? Very active defense, but they just outgunned everybody. Right. Now, the, the, the great defenses were the Seau defenses, mm-hmm. and then the great defenses were way before that. David Lewis and Ronnie Lott. Now, that goes back to the McKay oh, era, Lott. Yeah. which is a few third downs ago. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, but it's USC. If you can do that in the transfer portal on offense, you should be able to do that. Yeah, Or of at least you develop them. Yes. I mean, you got access to so many great athletes, you develop them into and the all the transfer Americans. portal. I mean, bring them on, you know? I agree. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed everything we've tried to present your way. Again, a reminder, what we announced at the top of the program. We are now celebrating our first anniversary here on this podcast. Uh, It's John's fault, if you don't agree with anything, because John (laughs) introduced me to how to do this podcast. But we are forming an insiders group. We have a whole package of ideas we're going to present month by month going forward as soon as the calendar flips to 2024. Join the insiders group. Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There's a big orange box on the upper right-hand side of that homepage. Fill it out with the information. You'll start getting emails and then announcements as we progress forward. You need to be part of the Insiders Group, even if you're a member of the Raiders Nation. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you come Monday bonus time. Monday bonus time. Looking forward to it, Lee. And thanks again to Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores serving us as our primary sponsor. And thanks to you for being with us as part of Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.